today's guest, Rico, Senior Technical Recruiter at Miro. So this is how we're using it at Miro. I had to kind of omit a lot. Of course, it's an internal document, so we don't want to share uh, that much. But what I'm looking at for anybody listening in is basically a table um, with four different pillars. Ideally, these are tied to your company values. You might have more or less company values. Uh, we have four. Um, and one that I did highlight is business partnerships. So I'm looking at one of the four pillars um, where there's clearly a distinction between, okay, we are looking at business partnership. This is looking into two of our core values, actually. So impact and collaboration, mostly impact. Um, and with a short description to kind of know what this is all about. Um, and here to read out, we want to move away from being just order takers, like transactional recruitment, um, but actually becoming strategic advisors. This is something that we see the more senior you get, the more of a function this uh, is going to be. But already from the start, we would like to have this. And I made one example uh, that I can uh, show. So in the table or in the framework, you have these four pillars. Then we have components or competencies. And all the competencies have certain behaviors. Now, these behaviors um, in kind of our recruitment leadership uh, team, they've been identified what types of behaviors are there for a junior recruiter, a normal recruiter, senior recruiter, principal recruiter. So in this way, it really gives a clear framework on also scoring yourself. And this is what I've done uh, basically from the start, where I was handed kind of this framework and then um, really guiding my way through it. What I've depicted here is stakeholder management, just generally one of the competencies, stakeholder management, I think is quite transferable for a lot of different roles. But of course, there's different layers to this. Um, and here you can see as a recruiter that you stay aligned with multiple hiring managers um, on recruitment in their function and looking at team mobility, um, seeing if there's any internal moves possible. We talked about career development, career frameworks, also the setup at Miro in recruitment, and they are quite sophisticated. And also on how to use a data-driven approach, what to do with certain metrics, how to leverage them for stakeholder management and process improvement. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Today's guest is Rico from Miro and um, I, we got introduced in Amsterdam back then when we were at the um, at, at a recruiting conference and... I remember that Ala Pavlovla, she um, introduced us because we also did an episode on tech recruiting. Then we met and then you also came and then we got introduced and then we talked about, hey, that would be nice to also talk about your expertise, your context, because I know that Miro has a very high standard, high quality, high performing um, recruiting function. And to be honest, I'm also a big fan of Miro by myself. So maybe Rico, you can introduce yourself and give us more context. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, Thomas. And uh, yeah, also thanks, of course, a bit of a shout out to Allah for connecting us at the recruitment conference. Um, that's what the power of networking does. Uh, so in that sense, great. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, so for everyone listening, I'm Rico. If you want the last name as well. Um, I'm a senior technical recruiter at Miro currently. Uh, overall, I've been uh, basically doing recruitment or, or been a part of recruitment for the past six plus years more or less. 
Um, at Miro, I had a bit of a journey starting on the business side, uh, which is basically everything that's non-technical, uh, and then making a shift uh, and going into more of uh, engineering hiring, engineering recruitment. Uh, that has been for the past year, also internationally in terms of different hubs. Uh, at Miro, we have different engineering hubs specifically, which is Amsterdam, Berlin, and Yerevan in Armenia. Uh, and I've been hiring for all of them. Uh, so that has been quite uh, a nice position to be in, to have uh, all of that exposure. Uh, and besides that, yeah, Miro, happy to hear that you love uh, using Miro. I think we have plenty of use cases in recruitment generally. Um, we sip our own champagne at Miro, I have to say, where we are also using it extensively, not only for our own topics, but also in the interview process uh, quite often. So um, let's dive into that uh, later as well, whatever you would like to to uh, share more about. But that would be, I think, in short. Uh, yes, quick I also saw on LinkedIn that you were a groupie. Um, how did that come up and what what's the job of a groupie? I, I sometimes in Austria also played casino. Um, so I think it's, it's quite yes. a, a cool job sitting there. Yeah, nice. That's a blast from the past. But uh, yes, a croupier, not a groupie, in case uh, anyone is uh, thinking thinking otherwise. Uh, but a croupier or dealer uh, is someone basically when you go to a live casino with someone behind the table, either dealing the cards for blackjack or uh, basically leading the game of uh, American roulette, for example. Those were the things I did at uh, Holland Casino for quite a while. Started out as, well, one interesting casino. Uh, second, having to do something next to uh, basically the masters I was um, conducting at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, so then I started out doing blackjack, uh, learned roulette on the side as well. I think a bit of poker, but more like the the dealer poker, which is not the the one of the the Texas Hold'em uh, variant. But yeah, that was quite nice. It was a side job, stuck a little bit longer. But then at some point, um, it's a very nice job actually. But there's a danger of uh, kind of getting stuck in that and then keeping into that rhythm. So I decided, okay, let's change. And then really the career, I would say, yeah, I think uh, you also started get a from lot that of point. Tips there, right? It depends. So yeah, I think that's uh, maybe like a public public secret in that sense uh, with some casinos and maybe you know back dealer or back room. Uh, you might get this, but yeah, in all of the, you know you had kind of the sharing system. So across all of the different venues. Um, yes, you do get tip, but then it's shared and actually it's quite uh, nicely spread around everyone so that everyone gets uh, involved into that as well. Cool. Okay, but then let's talk a bit more about Miro and thank you so much for the introduction. Um, what I would be super interested in first, um, what's the, the state of current um, recruitment at Miro? How, how are you set up overall when you describe the setup? Because I know from candidates in the past, either of on a lead head director level, when I did some um, leadership executive searches for the talent acquisition space, I had some candidates at Miro or working at Miro. And um, I think I never hired one, but we had good calls and I was super excited about um, the approach. So maybe you can tell us a bit more. And then with the approach, you mean more or less how recruitment generally is set up um, at Miro? Yes, exactly. Nice. Yeah, I think there, um, I really like this this type of structure. Actually, it's also been documented quite well in one of the books of uh, the founders of Greenhouse called Talent Makers. A quick shout out there too, I guess. Um, but there they describe actually what Miro has implemented already. And I think a lot of tech companies do have where... Um, there is not just 
recruiting as a function. There's recruiters and they do all the work. Of course, there's plenty of things that come into uh, play when you talk about a recruitment function in general. Um, I think I can actually share my screen quickly here um, where I have uh, basically a bit of this department set up lined up. Uh, but here you see a couple of parts. So of course, employer brand, recruitment operations at the bottom, uh, recruitment on the side with recruiters and sourcers included, and then recruitment coordination, um, where recruitment coordinators do their magic. Um, sometimes in, in smaller companies, all of these topics kind of fall onto the recruitment team. But to be fair, that's not the best division, I would say, because there's plenty to do in all four of these areas. Um, of course, recruitment part, that's quite specific. You're, you're responsible of filling the roles and being hopefully a strategic partner as well. But I think the interesting part comes when it's, uh, when we're talking about recruitment coordination or recruitment operations. Um, and to give a bit of definition on this, recruitment coordination is everything that has to do with scheduling. Um, I would say not per se from that first conversation with a recruiter, but everything afterwards, hiring manager interviews, interview panels, uh, difficult schedules and calendars that uh, a leadership team has. I mean, it's going to take a lot of time uh, from recruiters and sources alike to get all of that scheduled. And then especially if you're hiring quite a lot um, at Miro, we've experienced hyper growth. You definitely need someone who is just super fast and being able to schedule. And this is the magic that recruitment coordination does. Like without them, it would be so much slower to get people into these roles and having their bump in seats, um, sometimes is also mentioned. Um, so that's one part, having someone specifically there for scheduling, that's awesome. Um, I would say I, I really vouch uh, for them there. Definitely. And I think also once you, you did not work with recruitment coordinators, you cannot imagine and think, why should I need them? Yeah. But once I think you are a in need or B have the luxury, um, or not even the luxury, it should be, um, um, I would say also an industry standard or benchmark at some point, um, to do so, then nobody wants to do it without, um, recruitment coordinators. And I think also the benefits there are when you just look at the candidate experience, the time to hire, you have significant, um, higher, um, or better numbers there than without the function, which is a, which what what a lot of I would say, the or companies, teams, departments that are hesitant, they don't understand that yet. Yes, yes, I definitely agree. Not only such a kind of simple metric as reducing your time to hire, basically getting hires faster. Um, it's also about some of the work that a recruiter usually does, or the back and forth between a candidate and rescheduling, or having four or five different members on uh, team interview rounds where you don't even have the time to kind of schedule that while you're screening new candidates is some, something, a lot of the help that uh, recruitment coordination also takes away. And it's, it's really helpful. Yes, they're scheduling tools. They are a very good assist, but they're still the human interaction piece of, you know, can you move something in your calendar? Because some of the calendars are just packed. It's not as simple as just syncing your calendar, looking at it like, oh, this is a free spot. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts and recruitment coordination. Uh, yeah, if applied correctly, they do it amazingly. And at Miro, yes, they 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 do an awesome job. Second point, uh, I would go into recruitment ops. So here, quite simply, you would think of all the tooling that you have. Um, I think at Miro, yeah, we we have it quite luxury. There's quite a lot of tools that we are able to use, such as analytics tool, talent wall. Uh, of course, we have our ATS, uh, which is greenhouse. 
Um, we have some scheduling tools, and there's actually a bunch, of course, like LinkedIn, LinkedIn Recruiter. Uh, those are some basic ones that likely everyone has. Um, but even if you just have one, there's the back and forth between uh, renewing a contract, uh, making sure you have a best deal for the next year that you are buying licenses, how to deal with all of that as a, as a contact person. In smaller teams, it's also part of a recruitment uh, recruiter's task. Um, this is all valuable time um, of everyone, of course, but if you would have that fall into recruitment ops uh, and also use it to kind of tweak how your, your processes work and how that relates in the tooling itself, this is just really helpful to have as a separate function. And um, if, if I have to quote the book Talent Makers again, I think one of the specific things they mentioned, if you hire the first two people, you have one recruiter and one recruitment ops, um, because just there you already have your tooling in place, you can have your setup in place while you're actually hiring. Um, so this is something like a, a backup function, a very invisible uh, function that is within the department. You absolutely need, don't often see, but you're very uh, very uh, happy that it's there. Nice. And what what is your current team size where you, or yeah, maybe current team size where you have this function um, or this department set up in that functions? Can you also share the number of the team members what you currently have? Yeah, I think um, for recruitment coordination, currently we have three, three or four members. Uh, most in Europe, there's one in uh, the US as well. Uh, we're also hiring there uh, quite, quite often. Right now, you do see that there's um, yeah, not so much difference between uh, the two areas because when something needs to be picked up, it's also picked up for other time zones. Um, that's a bit more um, challenging, uh, I would say, but uh, still apparently is managed really quite well. Um, so it's it's actually a small function for all the hiring that we have done in the past. Um, but yeah, they, they're very efficient. And that's the case when they're focusing on, on that specific part of their expertise. It just really helps. In recruitment ops, uh, recruitment ops also, for example, is kind of training, right? So hiring manager training, uh, just generally a global interviewer training. So I would see it as two different pieces uh, that are within that more um, kind of that either internal customer facing uh, part which is training and enablement but also the part of the real hardcore back-end uh, tooling overall um, just from the top of my head i think we have about five or six uh, people in recruitment ops and then right now recruitment uh, is split plus sourcers split across non-tech and tech or business and tech recruiting as we call it um, i think we have 25 to 30 people, more or less in there. And then we haven't even touched on employer brand. That's a, a small but mighty team, I think three or four that we have uh, over there, but valuable, quite quite valuable. I mean, the, we have kind of this employer brand digest uh, or kind of a monthly newsletter with all the efforts they are doing. And this is you know incumbent for the top of funnel uh, in the end, right? Because we already see a major shift, and I think this is something I'm fine with sharing, that from relying heavily on referrals and sourcing, referrals still a big part, but actually if we look at the past, I would say quarter or, or half year even, most of our hires actually have come from the company branding uh, our career site. And this is really because of the efforts of employer brands in every direction from just generally updating the careers page to having a lot of content for different areas of the business, really creating a strong top of funnel. This is what employer brand does. Um, 
and there's so much effort going into that. And uh, I also yeah. see. I, I also think that when you just look at the market dynamics, it's now a bit more um, several candidates that maybe look actively are also, um, let's say, there for one job versus when you do the number one and a half years ago, where maybe f very um, le a very less number of candidates that are actively open or looking um, are there for one job because we had a, a number of layoffs a lot, right? But Additionally to that, you then should be the one attracting the right candidates for you, right? So that's something what is re really important that you have. And I think that's also what, what, what you highlighted. Um, it's not just the number of applications or interest or um, visits on certain websites or job sites. I don't know. It's also the number of hires you make because that's ultimately coming then down to quality. The next step would be then make um, measuring the quality of each hire, which can be several episodes because there is it, it, it's so um, it has so so <laughs> many facil um, 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 aspects of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> that's why your podcast definitely has several episodes, anyways, because there's so much you know to dive into and unpack. Yes, you know all of these different topics. Uh, you can look at what are best practices and. And, and how to best go question. about it. So thank you for the, for the insights. What, what, what is a, a volume you can run with this function? Because you also said that, or not you said, but what, I've, what I saw from Miro and also how I understand it, it's a product development company and you don't have huge volume roles like maybe a company that needs to have local operations everywhere, ramp up, blue collar workers and so on. You really have a product development focus and don't have these volume roles. Mm, yes, that's true. So it's not in that sense. There's one where you hire 100 of the same um, that we have. We do have something that we call evergreen roles. So for example, a senior backend engineer does come across more often. Uh, but yes, it's definitely a mix of evergreen roles uh, and just one-off roles. And that definitely um, leads to volume taking a hit. right? Because you need to ramp up. You need uh, to calibrate what the interview process looks like. Although we have it pretty much standardized still there can be different tweaks um, to every type of role or department that they're in who needs to be involved and also getting them aligned um, specific question on yeah how many you can actually do with this setup that depends so i think with this setup you can do quite a lot depending on the type of roles you have the setup is there um, but then how we look at it i think we had more or less 350 hires in total so far this year um, and then with, well, what it, what it used to be a relatively smaller team, um, that's it. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Understood. It's also good for context. And also when we look into the, um, topic of career development, in case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. How do you think, um, a recruiter or recruiter, um, person that is maybe in some of the roles, how can they develop also maybe at Miro? Um, yeah, well, at Miro, I think it's quite clear. Um, we have a quite nice, uh, I, I wasn't able to share this here. Um, and since we're also listening, that's, that's uh, a lot tougher to share, but I do have something I will try to describe. Um, generally, there's two ways. So one is your current function and how can you evolve in your current function? Um, second is what's the movement like within maybe the department. So for example, having a transition from uh, recruitment coordinator, uh, moving into a sourcing function, moving into the recruiter function. Those are typically the type of lateral moves that you do see um, that are really attainable. Um, 
you don't see it that much the other way around um, from what I can see. Uh, but still, it's good to have the idea of what type of lateral movement can you make. Also, for example, to employer brand. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that employer brand does, like marketing and then SEO and these types of things that aren't immediately there in the other roles. So there's definitely some some gap, uh, skills gap potentially there. Um, what I think is easiest, you know, as a framework, uh, it's something that we use at Miro for our career development and that I have actively used in the past two years that I've been uh, at Miro as well. Um, it's kind of a competency framework. So it's not just, uh, this is something that you do see quite a lot, not just about hires. Having the most amount of hires in the company will get you to the next level. It's a very one-sided area to look at. And then that's also quite hard to compare because if I have a lot of senior roles and someone else has more this evergreen role where it's very easy, well, easy, relatively easy to ramp up uh, a pipeline instead of having one-off uh, senior roles, how do you compare then the four against the 10 of, of someone else? Then is that other person better than the other? You don't know. So what we do, and I'll try to um, highlight what, what I'm sharing on the screen, is uh, kind of a, a recruiter competency framework. So this is how we're using it at Miro. I had to kind of omit a lot. Of course, it's an internal document, so we don't want to share uh, that much. But what I'm looking at for anybody listening in is basically a table um, with four different pillars. Ideally, these are tied to your company values. You might have more or less company values. Uh, we have four. Um, and one that I did highlight is business partnerships. So I'm looking at one of the four pillars. Um, where there's clearly a distinction between, okay, we are looking at business partnership. This is looking into two of our core values, actually. So impact and collaboration, mostly impact. Um, and with a short description to kind of know what this is all about. Um, and here to read out, we want to move away from being just order takers, like transactional recruitment, um, but actually becoming strategic advisors. This is something that we see the more senior you get, the more of a function this uh, is going to be. But already from the start, we would like to have this. And I made one example uh, that I can uh, show. So in the table or in the framework, we have these four pillars. Then we have components or competencies. And all the competencies have certain behaviors. Now, these behaviors um, in kind of our recruitment leadership uh, team, they've been identified what types of behaviors are there for a junior recruiter, a normal recruiter, senior recruiter, principal recruiter. So in this way, it really gives a clear framework on also scoring yourself. And this is what I've done uh, basically from the start, where I was handed kind of this framework and then um, really guiding my way through it. What I've depicted here is stakeholder management, just generally one of the competencies, stakeholder management, I think is quite transferable for a lot of different roles. But of course, there's different layers to this. Um, and here you can see as a recruiter that you stay aligned with multiple hiring managers um, on recruitment in their function and looking at team mobility, um, seeing if there's any internal moves possible. As a senior recruiter, you're expected to do a bit more. So basically you're at a point of escalation for one specific area. Um, if there's any issues arising, you also liaise with finance, with people, business partners, and just generally on hiring plans. Anything that you need to have more cross-functional alignment as well. Um, and just kind of listing what I have written down here, advising stakeholders on their strategic hiring and interview process from start to finish. So that already 
starts basically before you even draft a kickoff doc um, with uh, what is actually on the on the role itself and really necessary, but already you know where in your organization or in your department should we really pay most attention. Um, what I want to say with this, because this is specific on one competency, generally here, it just gives you a nice framework on, look, I, I started as a recruiter. I look at this entire framework. I look at all the pillars and I basically score myself red, uh, amber or, or yellow and green. I can do that for specific behaviors even, uh, or just on general competency and kind of see where I think self-reflectively I'm at. And that immediately gives you the area where there's any gaps in your in your development. You can also ask, and I think this is one of the, the key things, ask your manager to look at it at the same time and basically have them uh, share what they think where you are at at that point. Um, always interesting to see if there's a lot of difference uh, between the two. If that's not the case, that's actually good, but it immediately uh, you can see where do you then need to build? Right? What is the thing that I can do? And can I also do it? If there's something on data-driven decision-making, do I all of a sudden start doing that if I don't have any knowledge? No, but at least I know this is an area that I need to address. So then let's move forward and ask someone, and this is what I did, ask someone, look, I'm working on my career development. I think this is a big gap that I have, data-driven decision-making or using data to influence stakeholders. Is there someone who can just have 30 minutes on the calendar with me and share with me how they do it. Within Miro, the answer is always yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's always someone who will help you. Mm -hmm. um, this was the case for us. And because I shared it in kind of a public channel, there were other recruiters who said, hey, this is interesting. Um, add me as well to this meeting. So we had in the end a training, I think of eight people going into that meeting and then really helping out with this particular competency and then building on that learning to implement it in the day-to-day. Yeah. So this is one piece. Yes, and I'll, I'll pause there. No, it, it's really cool. And it's really, I would say, um, straightforward uh, straightforward, and also clear. Um, so if you want, I can also show, show you mine because um, I also created one for people-wise and our recruiters because we um, support nice. companies, right? At early stage companies, um, let's say then scaling um, phases or then also a bit more mature or global scaling phases where it's really just about, okay, I enter this market, this market, that market, mm -hmm. and so on, um, at the scale of, I don't know, Uber and so on, right? And um, yeah. I had set it up a bit similar, so I just share it here, um, and I just said, okay, there are components, competencies, and job levels, and the components are talent partnering, sourcing data literacy and operational excellence, and talent partnering consists out of business partnering, stakeholder management, problem solving, and planning. Then sourcing is market mapping and shortlisting, or getting candidates attracted, right? Then data literacy is data analysis, reporting, and data accuracy, because sometimes there's also a problem then that you need first yeah. the infrastructure that you can rely <laughs> on data, right? And operational excellence means self-management, systemization, project management, and sense of urgency. And then we have several roles like junior talent partner, talent partner, senior talent partner, talent leader, director. We don't have a principle defined yet, but maybe it will come. And then here it's really um, described very well. <laughs> so if we zoom out, um, it's quite big. Yeah. Oops, now I zoomed in. Um, right, that everybody has clearly defined the behavior. And we do it the same, that um, you can get um, training based on 
your self-assessment plus manager assessment, but sometimes peer assessment and then creating a plan. So it's really cool. And then also having some training, training, training for frameworks, collaboration sessions and so on to really um, learn that. And also I've maybe put it in the show notes. Um, I, uh, it can be downloaded or um, granted access to um, for everyone because I wanted to make it public to um, raise the awareness of how a recruitment function can look like. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I think what you just showed in terms, it's, it's really similar to what we have. The only difference with what I've been showing and what you've been showing is that uh, it was born Excel and mine is on a Miro board. We have both, to be honest. We also have this built out for every function. So when it comes to engineering, when it comes to uh, marketing, product, analytics, uh, finance, there's quite a lot uh, built out there and also something that you will have to do because having this framework gives also a lot of clarity for any employee in your company to know, hey, what could be next? Do I want to be in, in that next level as well? Um, and give them growth, like yeah. give them specific tools to manage their growth. And in the end, it has to be the individual to drive it. But if you can get the tools, this is this is so strong to to just work with. Maybe another point we touch um, is data-driven decision-making because I think also um, that you are quite data-driven and also Miro overall acts data-driven. So could you give us a, a crash course or overall context on how you think data-driven decision-making, why it's important and how you do it? Yeah, um, definitely. Good point. Um, in terms of data-driven, so w what does that really mean? Um, actually, also here, I, I made a short kind of slide uh, on this and also describe all the slides are quite simple to be honest because I know we're, we're you know recording a podcast so I didn't want to make any uh, really amazing stuff um, but basically there, there's two areas you can have it for process improvement data that will lead you the way of what processes do I need to improve there's also uh, stakeholder management just giving you more arguments than just, hey, I have a gut feeling that we mm. don't do something right. And this is the, the worst or, thing we can say. Yes, it's or, the worst thing we I can did, hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or also demanding something from them that they act because uh, this is also what I saw that stakeholders, they don't report into you. Yeah, It's more a no. bit that you even report somehow into them. But if you need to change their behavior, you better have strong evidence on what you're asking for um, to make them change, let's say, providing more interview time or slots or being faster in responding or whatever it is. Sorry. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And um, basically what you would call this on, for example, staff engineering level, this is influencing without authority, right? You don't have a management layer there. So it's like, how do you then still convince and influence? My observation is that uh, with Miro, we have it everywhere across the business. I did see in the start, at least uh, when I started, I was on the business side and moved into technical recruiting. It is way more status quo and standard by default in the technical side than it is on the business side. It was kind of viewed as, wow, you're bringing me all this kind of data, um, really a backed up story to work with. And yes, let's change something in the requirements. And on the technical side is show me the data. Like that's, it's an as is. So being data savvy in that sense will really help just knowing what to look out for. Also, what's interesting. It's not always about hey, how many profiles did we scan on LinkedIn, We're really quite operational. It's more strategic on what are the specific rejection reasons if we map them across all of our senior backend engineers of the, the last six months. 
um, that's a bit different. So what I did, I made it, I made a slide. There's a couple of kind of standard metrics that everyone either should use or is using already. Uh, for some, it might be familiar. For some, it might not. But I kind of want to uh, talk you through what you would suggest. Like, is it stakeholder management influencing or is it a process improvement? And yes, there is a catch. Um, probably a lot of them are going to be both. Right? So some very specific ones, time to fill, time to start. Uh, below, there's also time to hire um, those. Are they more for process improvement or just stakeholder management? Also head complaining, to be honest, because I think the, um, the time to start or a time to hire can be um, be very much misinterpreted in, interpreted because entering candidates entering the funnel until they get hired, right, is maybe sometimes not included there, that you sometimes two, three weeks search for somebody entering the funnel and then you hire them, you have a good time to hire, for instance, but maybe a bad time to start and also a bad time to fill because there's so much time that nothing happened. Yeah, or no results happen. And also then you have notice periods as well, right? So uh, not forget yes, that one. especially in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or also time to kick off a role after it's approved, right? That's also something that sometimes gets really important. Oh, yes. Ooh, a very painful point for, for many organizations. I, I have no doubt. Um, really, sometimes to already build the plane while flying is not always the best idea, especially if it's a volume role or there's just tons of applications coming your way you then don't have time anymore so indeed time to kick off um having that short amount of time but actually time to align is something that uh, some people also uh, use um, but here it depends uh, initially i would say it helps with stakeholder management um, that is where i first would immediately think of uh, but still, I, I can't really, yeah, I can duplicate these and put them also on the other side of process improvement. But just generally, it's a very strong argument when the first thing a hiring manager says, someone left, I need a backfill, I need them next month. And you can already say, look, our average time to hire, our average time to fill, and we have a notice period, our average time to start. You will, can expect this person in seven months time from today, if we start hiring now and we haven't even aligned. So already immediately from the get-go, you're like, look, don't put pressure on me to have a hire next month because it's I tell you it's impossible. Look at all the historical data we have. Um, so that's something just generally to have a really strong argument and then look at, okay, what, of course we look at what is reasonable. We always try to do what is the best, but it really sets expectations and expectations generally with candidates, but also with hiring managers will really help um, for you to be a good good business partner in that sense. Um, some others, because I know I, I, I put a lot here, uh, when it comes to hires by source. Um, well, let, let's look at that one, hires by source. So then I'm talking about third company marketing, is it your career side, is it prospecting? More stakeholder management or more process improvement? I would put it to more process improvement because usually they don't care about where the hire is coming from. Yeah, I would say. Um, but of course, you can also then see, okay, which which channels are going well, but you can also maybe have a different argument. What are your thoughts? Um, both. It's both. Yes, process improvement, that does work. Um, but it gives you a strong argument in saying, look, a significant amount of our hires, like statistically significant even, um, has come from referrals, for example. Just generally, the amount of referrals that convert to a hire is so much higher than the amount of general applications converting to a hire. 
Serious, like before we even kick off this role, let's talk with you. Let's talk with the team. Let's do a referral jam or a session to get you to check your network first. And we kind of prioritize these candidates. Great topic. Having someone basically in the process faster, because the one thing that I haven't put is time to source, like time to source the right candidates so that they are in the funnel um, is also something there. So this part of hires by source and then actually having them earlier on in the funnel already, that's very strong in terms of, yes, of course, improving your processes to make it faster, but also to influence your stakeholder and saying, look, Definitely. this is the way we should go. I like the approach. Yeah. Because sometimes you also need time from them also their access maybe to their profiles to say, hey, reach out to these 50 candidates because we need um, source candidates. And when you reach out from your profile, we maybe increase the chance by 30% or whatever. Definitely. Yes. Um, plus, it depends a little bit how strong you are in terms of your technical knowledge. But um, in engineering, I'm never going to be able to be on par you know, with an engineering manager with 15 years of experience. Right, So you need them. You need them for their expertise. I can do everything with the recruitment process and making sure that we have our hiring strategy in order. But when it comes to checking if someone is you know, technically savvy enough, they need to tell me. I, I can't code with them, uh, for example. Right, um, I can do a, basically a high-level overview of what they're going to do and what their interesting projects are going to be. Definitely that part. But you need the partnership. The transactional part of, of recruitment, yeah, it, it, in the end, it's really old-fashioned. You need to do that together because all of the metrics will be better once you actually start to work together. Um, and if you have a lot of hiring managers in your company and you're like, well, they don't do that. I get every week I hear, hey, there's three more hires we need. Get them. Start with one, right? Start with one hiring manager you have a good relationship with. Um, basically tell them, look, this is the strategy I want to follow. You are going to hire much faster than everybody else. Once that actually starts to happen, all the other hiring managers are going to say, how are you hiring so fast? And the other ones uh, are not. It's like, yeah, because I'm working together with my recruiter, not just asking them to fill seats. And just, you know, it can be really daunting if you don't have a good setup already, but start with one. That's what I would say. I know we're going fast through our time. Uh, so just some of these, like, I will, I will just give you the answer. Uh, but pass-through conversion rates, clearly process improvement. Now, if you don't have data, uh, and actually have a, a very nice example, so if you're looking at this from YouTube, then you can see it. Like just general pass-through rates. I just took one role somewhere that we that we filled. Um, what this lists is a table going from application review to hired, and it has pass rates for every stage. Looking at this, you can see where the bottlenecks, because in the end, those numbers matter. If you have a um, thousand candidates in the process, but in the end, uh, at offer stage, everybody rejects, you still have zero hires. If you look at those numbers and they have you know, quite uh, many people in there, you can use these numbers to in, um, improve just the funnel generally on where, does it, where do people withdraw or where people are rejected the most. So in this case, we have, for example, team interview round. Already, uh, and this is for an engineering role. So an engineer that would pass through all the technical assessments. Um, you look at the team interview round, it's 43%. It's quite low, actually. We want the team to be aligned, to you know, know what they want, and then have this candidate who's already technically fine go through the process. So we would aim for more or less 75%. And having this increased 
And seeing that this is an issue, there can be a lot of explanations, right? It can be that canvases are just not good enough, but I think that's too easy of an explanation. Maybe the team is not aligned. Maybe there's interviewer training we need to do. There are so many things that you can look into um, to try and tackle this. And this is actually a problem that we've had and that we've tackled. So then it yes. indeed and also more than 70 11 days, right? So uh, not many pass. And then it also takes the longest average days in stage at that late stage. It's not a good sign. So this should be improved. But of course, sometimes it's it's tough. So you need data and evidence to show why, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because generally from a leadership perspective, you would say we're not getting any hires. It's like, yeah, why? You're not doing enough. Um, potentially, uh, well, this is not the way I would communicate with, with you know, uh, my hiring managers. Uh, but I can imagine that this is a question. Why are we not hiring? Um, and with this type of data, pass-through rates, you can easily see, hey, this is where the bottleneck is, or maybe we should be more selective or anything uh, deriving from that. So definitely process improvement. Scorecard results. Sometimes the interviewer is the problem. Um, scorecard results for interviewers is a statistic we have. We don't look at it often, but sometimes we do, especially if we see things are going wrong. Um, and you can exclude, simply exclude someone, yeah, unfortunately. But if people are have such a high bar for themselves or comparing with themselves and say, look, nobody is good enough to join my team, yeah, then maybe we have to change the interview process or not hire for that position because you know we, we can do a lot of work, but we can hire somewhere else if necessary. Um, that's tough for the business to ask, but this is a discussion that you can have based on this data. In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Um, yeah, and then others, just generally looking at withdrawal reasons, why someone moving out of a process themselves Uh, what is a rejection reason at offer stage, but also before? Um, and yeah, you touched upon it, quality of hire. That's a tough one. Um, what are your thoughts actually on quality of hire? I think you cannot uh, look at it two-dimensional to say, yeah, somebody passes probation or something like this. Or um, um, I think you need to look at this on a more long term. Also about the life cycle of uh a higher overall, you also need to include the, the managers overall, but also the state, the com environment of the company, right? If, if things are clear, it's easier to measure. If objectives are clear, if the role is clear, if it's a first time role that it's hired, it's really way much tougher um, to rate that, right? I think you can always differentiate between the functional aspect and the non-functional aspect. I think the non-functional aspect can be more um, towards the culture and towards the um, fit towards the current organizational phase, but maybe a, um, a lot of hires are made through times of a lot of uncertainties, a lot of changes, then maybe you would you would think the quality of hires drop because there are so many changes or people drop out or are not the right fit anymore. Okay, but also the, the company strategy or environment changed. So I would not put it down to the quality of hire, but more to the level of ambiguity. Um, is now looking into it or affecting attrition and therefore um, we, we, we just have different circumstances, right? So I think that's a, a, a very diff difficult topic to touch. I agree. Like already there, there are so many unknowns uh, that you're putting into the equation. So quality of hire is a really tough metric, but what's the problem you're trying to solve with quality of hire? Are you trying to look at the quality of the hire or are you maybe looking at um, how aligned are we as a hiring team? Yeah, exactly. 
right? So if the quality of hire, let's say we had this distinction, right? There's in line with the bar, there's above the bar hires. You know, candidates that pass really strongly through the interview process, they clearly have one up uh, on, on anybody else. Um, is that the case? Like, how is that influence? It's quite a, a tough kind of benchmark. Um, what is the bar uh, even, right? Uh, we do have a, a system for it in terms of that competency framework that we were talking about in the start. Having already some competencies on the higher level will kind of indicate being above the bar. Um, then maybe we have very urgent or someone is telling themselves really well, um, they're above the bar in the interview process, but then uh, later, is that still the same? So there we can see if hiring teams are always scoring their candidates above the bar, um, is that really the case? So then quality of hire could be, um, well, of course, quality of hire coming in as a hire. We have a three, uh, after three months, you do kind of an onboarding 360 feedback loop. And then maybe the first performance review, for example. Those are a couple of trends or data points that you can then look at and see, hey, is that aligned with what we started out from? And is there anything we can change? So it depends really on what, you, what you're looking for and what problem you're trying to solve. Uh, definitely. Um, that's, that's a very, very nice content. And thanks for also preparing it that, that clearly and using Miro. We can see how easy it is yes. to uh, visualize. <laughs> um, Rico, uh, final question. Who is a guest that you know I don't know yet who I should interview next? Oh, a guest that I know depends on what topic you want to talk about. Any Anything recruitment related? Yeah, it can also be leadership or management related. I have to think about that. I have to think about it. Cool. Do you mind? <laughs> no, no, my, yeah, <laughs> I'll, don't I'll, at all. I'll give so, you a referral. Definitely. That's also the beauty of the podcast. I want to keep it growing organically through the guests, right? Because I think then it's it also always tells a story and is, is, is kind of... Um, somehow cohesive in terms of I, I um, have a certain relationship um, of the guests with each other and that's 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 really nice. Um, so it was really nice talking to you. Thanks for all the insights and I'm looking forward to getting this live. Nice. Yeah, I hope it come across well and yeah, for everyone listening, thanks for listening to the end. <laughs> Making it up until here but uh, yeah, of course you can reach out to me if you want to talk about this more. I'm pretty passionate about all the topics that we discussed. Um, so in that sense, so let me know. Uh, happy to, to discuss even more. <laughs>